Worried about letting someone else pick out the perfect avocado for your perfect impress them on the third date guacamole? Well, good thing Instacart shoppers are as picky as you are. They find ripe avocados like it's their guac on the line. They are milk expiration date detectives. They bag eggs like the 12 precious pieces of cargo they are. So let Instacart shoppers overthink your groceries so that you can overthink what you'll wear on that third date. Download the Instacart app to get free delivery on your first three orders while supplies last. Minimum $10 per order. Additional terms apply. We get it. Attention spans just aren't what they used to be. Heads in social media and eyes on Netflix. But what do people do with their ears? Well, for one, they're listening to audio. Americans spend 4.4 hours with audio every day. Oh, and you want the proof? Well, you just sat through this ad that's now approaching 30 seconds. What could you say to a potential customer in 30 seconds? Let Odyssey put together a media plan tailor-made for your unique marketing needs. Advertise with Odyssey. Visit ads.odyssey.com. We're getting you ready for pro football's ultimate matchup. Give us a taste. Matt has a noodle on. Ooh, buddy. This is a Super Week edition of Danny and Dusty. Injured? Don't trust just anyone to something so personal. Call George McCoy at Warren Allen. Online at warrenallen.com. Danny and Dusty on 1080. I got hit in the head with the tortilla. Yikes! The Fan. Hour number two. Thank you for being a part of our day, letting us be a part of yours. Danny and Dusty with you on this Monday of Super Week. Party on, Wayne. Party on, Garth. We were talking about the commander's hiring of Cliff Kingsbury as offensive coordinator. And Dan Quinn had his introductory press conference as the commander's new head coach today. And he gave us this little nugget. There is nothing I enjoy more than doing hard shit with good people. All right. There's a commander's fan out there that's getting that tattooed on their body somewhere. Mm. Maybe over their lower back. <laughs> I like it. I, I, what I'm wondering is, uh, is, is Kingsbury going to be able to find a, a, a pad as good as the one he had in Arizona? Mm. That house, you, you, have you ever seen the photos? That, yeah, that kind of went where viral? he did the COVID draft. Yeah, that giant bay of a living room out looking out over Maybe the... Maybe something over the, on the Potomac. Yeah, I feel like it's not quite as... <laughs> Not quite the same you feel. Think <laughs> Scottsdale. It's Scottsdale. Yeah, up I have the a hills. feeling a desert's going to be hard to find in DC. But not just that. Like that, that was, uh, was. Oh, you they got they got tons of rich people over there. Yeah, I know, but it's, find it's, a place. It's, it's a different kind of vibe. Like that's uh, that's old money. He's going Outer Banks. It'll look Outer Banks ish. Yeah, right? right. It'll it'll be a it'll be a yeah it'll be a different vibe. East Coast. It's not gonna like have it's beachy. not gonna have eyes wide shut. Like uh, some weird stuff happened here. Oh, there will. Yeah, I don't have that look because there's definitely going to be weird stuff that happens there. Oh, for sure. I yeah. mean, <laughs> come on now. I mean, you look at look at that clip, and you you know weird yeah. stuff happens. Yeah, there. absolutely. But you hire Eric Bieniemy is out. Will not be retained. Weird. Yeah. The storyline on that is is uh, of Bieniemy. Remember the the outrage over he's not being hired because he's black, and it's like, no, he's not being hired because they don't like him across the league, and now he's unceremoniously getting swept to the side, and nobody really cares anymore because the cat's kind of out of the bag. Almost had a mutiny this past year as the offensive coordinator in, in D.C. So, remember, last segment, I said, it can always get worse. There you go. There it is. <laughs> but we were talking about the commanders 
and they obviously are lining this up because they want Caleb Williams. Yeah. They're at number two. The reports have been Caleb Williams doesn't want to go and play in Chicago. They don't trust ownership in Chicago and with the Bears to surround a team with him. Now, do what leverage does Chicago have then if Caleb because the leverage for the commanders it's waning because everybody you have signaled to everyone that this is where you want to yeah. go because Drake May is a very good quarterback. Mm -hmm. Does he fit Cliff, Cliff Kingsbury in the, the style of play? No. Was Cliff King, Kingsbury his position coach? No. You're making this hire mm -hmm. for a specific person yes. out there. And so they want to see if Caleb Williams can leverage his way to get to D.C., his hometown, and play for the commander. So where does this lead the Bears? What leverage do the Bears have? Because Caleb Williams is playing this like he is John Elway or like he is Eli Manning. Mm -hmm. And does he have that power? And that's an interesting one because John Elway had a place to go. John Elway could go in and play Major League Baseball is mm -hmm. what he said he was going to go and do. If Baltimore drafted him. Nope, I'm not. I'm, I'm not good. going. I'm going to go and play baseball. And he had that that golden parachute. Eli Manning had the Manning family. the Manning family behind him. Yeah. Is Caleb Williams? Where does he go and what does he do if it's not Chicago? And that's what teams are like. like that's what Chicago's banking on. Is like if we love the guy and if we can, we can convince him that you know coming here is an okay place. Like that's that's what they're going to be banking on. But if he shows up and he's play. a malcontent, yeah. then for five years is he just not going to do anything? Trying to find his way his way out at all times. Like I know it sounds cliche, but you want the guy to want to be there. If you have to convince him, do you want him there? But doesn't that seem like a bit of a red flag for Caleb Williams that sure. if things don't go well, like Washington, it's going to put a lot of eggs in that basket. And, was, and if it, things don't go well, do the fingers start to get pointed? 100%. Does he just say, I want out. I want to, I, this isn't working for me. And you guys are the problem. It's not me. The, I mean, those are the questions, questions about Caleb is how he's, you know, how does he handle adversity? You know, he didn't handle it very well against the, the loss to Utah. Hadn't been great. Losses to Utah. The the and then people got very up you know upset with him because he was crying in the stands with his parents which I have zero issue with it's the last time he was playing college football like I, that was I felt like that was kind of overblown but the adversity stuff it, the adversity stuff on the field does not bother me because I think he reacts I mean this is a guy who tried to basically play with a torn hamstring I think as far as a gamer he's a gamer. It's just getting him to the field. <laughs> it's yes, like like the the adversity stuff. Like once the game's over, I think that's where it becomes a little bit more of a. I don't want to say an issue, but these are the same things we were. We we wouldn't that be? Is he a good teammate? And that's what you what you hear about the stuff at USC. His teammates loved him, loved him. Outside of that one report where they there were some mostly defensive guys that gave the good riddance thing. The the team being catered to him, a diva quarterback, all those things, but went out of his way to take care of guys at all times, whether you're the top of the roster, bottom of the roster. That those are the things that I kept hearing about him. The question I have is, remember when we 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 have revisionist history now, because Eli is a Hall of Famer and wins Super Bowls. He was a crybaby B, and we crushed him and his family. I mean, the things that were said about Eli Manning leading to that draft and then draft night when they basically gave the double-barrel bird to the Chargers, 
they got annihilated. The first family of football got destroyed. So did the Spanos family for being what they had been. But uh, continue to be. Continue to be. Thank you. <laughs> but I I don't think the flip side is of the Bears organization. They're very much in the same kind of boat as the Chargers have been as it pertains to ownership. Now, they've been more willing to spend money, but they have been dysfunctional at every managerial and operational hire for what when was the Super Bowl? Was at 06? This is Rex Grossman. Yeah. yeah, that sounds about right. So for almost 20 years, and that was only because your defense was God tier. I mean, I just their front office has been an absolute disaster. And you didn't make the changes. But with pulls, but he has been drafting okay. Better. But now Darnell the, White, the, the bars not a great pass blocker. No. His run blocking was through the roof. Sure. But you Straight have for your quarterback who doesn't throw. You have massive holes though on the offensive line and in your offense. DJ Moore, you do have a receiver finally. Sure. Maybe you can you know, use a trade to to squeeze some assets out of a, another team. Like if Washington and Washington won't be willing to to part with Terry McLaren, because why would you be like, you know what, we want Caleb Williams and nobody to throw the ball to. Yeah. You know that the, the, the Panther strategy? That's ridiculous. Yeah. yeah Here's DJ Moore. We don't want him to actually have somebody for Bryce Young to throw to. <laughs> saw how that worked out. And nobody to block for him. Yeah, order on. It's a disaster. But can you can you squeeze another move to get another receiver and maybe maybe that is maybe that's the plan and that's the ploy from for Chicago from here until the draft at the end of April is you sit there and you go all right we are going to try to set up the best way that we can to say we have DJ Moore we have Cole Komet now we went and we got a number two a number three and we have our tight end here it's is that going to be good enough to say we're surrounding you with weapons? It's a start, but just from what I see, from what I look at, I just I think this is DOA. I think it's dead on arrival. I don't it's pretty tough. Th- I don't think the Bears can do anything here. And the closer we get to the draft, the less leverage they have. And what would be hilarious in all of this is that if everybody else knows it and everybody's talking to Washington about somehow moving up to two to get Caleb Williams because they know, and not, not, not that Washington wouldn't take them, but if everybody knows that Caleb is a hundred percent not going to the bears, I will not report. I will not be there. I will burn your organ. Like if he's willing to go full scorched earth. And I would love it if the bears just said, dude, call them on try it. Try me. That's the, like, I don't think that they have the huevos for that. I don't, I, there's maybe five organizations I think in the NFL who would be willing to do that because they have so much capital that they could. If they're that dysfunctional, they'd do it. Well, that's I guess that's the, <laughs> the, the the other side of that coin. But because who did who did San Diego draft? Fair. <laughs> they drafted him and said, "We'll figure it out." But but try me. Yeah. <laughs> but I just wonder if all, all of a sudden organizations are like, well, we're going to deal with Washington instead. That would be funny. Just because they know that the leverage, that Chicago is completely out-leveraged. It's kind of insane to think about that, but I, I wonder See, if it's if it ever reaches that point. Yeah, I I would I would flip it because then Chicago could just say, why deal with them when you can deal with us? 
and they're going to draft him at two, and we, you can just jump and make sure you get him. Because Chicago could always say, no, we're going to call him on his BS. It's fair. It's gonna it's gonna be it's gonna be, yeah. be the storyline. It would unless, be really funny unless see. they trade Fields before the draft. It's gonna be the storyline of the draft. Love it, love it. All right, hey, the Blazers swept over the weekend. The trade deadline just three days away. What will we see from Rip City the next time they take the floor against Detroit on Thursday? Danny and Dusty on the fan. Call from mom. Answer it. Call silenced. Instacart knows nothing gets between you and the game. That's why they make ordering from your couch easy. Stock up today and get all your groceries for the week delivered in as fast as 30 minutes without missing a minute of the game. You have 47 new voicemails. Download the app to get free delivery on your first three orders while supplies last. Minimum $10 per order. Additional terms apply. We get it. Attention spans just aren't what they used to be. Heads in social media and eyes on Netflix. But what do people do with their ears? Well, for one, they're listening to audio. Americans spend 4.4 hours with audio every day. Oh, and you want the proof? Well, you just sat through this ad that's now approaching 30 seconds. What could you say to a potential customer in 30 seconds? Let Odyssey put together a media plan tailor-made for your unique marketing needs. Advertise with Odyssey. Visit ads.odyssey.com. The Super Week edition of Danny and Dusty. Brought to you by George McCoy at WarrenAllen.com. On 1080 The Fan. As heard on our last installment of Awe on Friday, Jeff Rust posed the question, which is more probable, the Blazers get swept in Denver in their two-game set, or they win one. Uh, we've all said Swept. We both said swept in that gonna one. Say, I wasn't going to say swept or sweep because we, we, we knew the sweep was not going to happen. Yeah. The thing is. Yeah, that's right. The Blazers, they did acquit themselves. I thought the Blazers played pretty damn well in their two losses in Denver. Uh, 120 to 108 on Friday and then yesterday, 112, 103 defeat at the hand of the Nuggets where they came out fire, man. 37 points in the first quarter. It was like, whoo. All right, here we go now. Yeah, and then just the slow trickle of this team does not have depth, and they got tired and wore out. Yeah, two of the best players, Jeremy Grant and Malcolm Brogdon, both out. So it's not exactly a surprise. Uh, Friday afternoon, Friday evening, uh, you you come out again. I, I will never forget this as long as I'm alive and covering basketball. Uh, we had uh, Terry Porter on Outsiders one night uh, in the 2019 playoff series, and he got there probably an hour early. And I asked him about playoff stuff and playing in Denver, and just and when we started talking about playing in Denver, especially in games that matter, his eyes just kind of like glazed over, and he was like, "Man, there is no worse place to play. There's just it just sucks." He goes, "That altitude saps every last bit." out of your legs. And if you remember Terry Porter in his prime, there were not many athletes in better shape than Terry Porter in his prime. Dude was jacked. And All those guys were. Oh, God, that, te- that whole team was jacked. But, I mean, Terry Porter was just a specimen. If This is a guy who prides himself on playing, you know, press defense 38 minutes a night. Just a dude who's just after you all night long. And he was just like, the thing about playing in Denver is, no matter when you get there, 
the first shift and the first 15 minutes are going to kick your butt. There's no, there's, doesn't matter who you are. It does not matter who you are. There's no overcoming it. Unless you live there, which is why it's such an advantage, it is going to get you. Now, can you survive those first 15 minutes? And if you can survive those first 15 minutes and be in the game or have a push to kind of figure it out down the stretch, then you've got a chance any given night. Any night. But that first 15 minutes, Portland on Friday got the crap kicked out of them. They can only score 20 points. They got nothing. They got no legs. Shots aren't falling. But then you saw them warm into the game and the shot making started coming. And Scoot Henderson comes out and goes bonkers in that second quarter. Scoot's been playing really well lately. Since January 1st, he's averaging 14 and 4, almost 5. His shooting is still lagging behind just under 40%, but he's shooting 35.5% from three, which passable. Passable, especially considering his biggest issue now is the inconsistency finishing at the rim. He was one for 10 on twos yesterday. Just stuff rolling out, being altered. He's got to figure out his footwork. That's as much as everybody wants to talk about his shooting for me. And we talked about this, I want to say about a week ago. Scoot's footwork is the thing that he needs to sort out the soonest. Because if he can get to the rim and finish and be a, an above average or plus finisher, that opens everything else up. Again, 19, lot, or 20 now. Yeah, 20 just turned twenty. He's now he's no longer a teenager. He's got a lot of time, and you're see, you're already seeing the that. growth. You're, it's, you're, I mean, you saw it Friday night when he gets out there, and he's the kind of the guy that answers the bell first. Then Anthony Simons comes to life, and he just starts torching them. Then you had um, Duop Reith knock down some shots. You started getting green light. Duop, listen. I, if there's one thing I love about WAP is you do not work. They've got some guys on this team, and Chris Murray and Jabari Walker and Tamani Kamara, who are young guys who are figuring it out, and they maybe they get a catch and shoot opportunity, and you see a little hitch, like they're questioning. Eh, I'm not shooting real well, and you let this go. Couple of them last night with Tumani. Yep, but it hits Wop's hands. He's open. That thing going up. They, no questions about it. It's it is the it is the West Matthews of of bigs. People used to call West a black hole, and I'm like, yeah, yeah, that's what he's out there to do. She's. Shoot, He's shoot. out there to play defense and shoot. Wop is out there to spread the floor, take threes, and and be a hustle guy. So if he gets an opportunity on a trailing three, let it go. But Duop Reith is not the guy that like we we talk about the building blocks and foundational pieces. He's that a rookie, but he's twenty eight years old. Moving forward here in Portland, yeah. he's not that guy. I think what you're seeing is a lot of those building block guys, though, and you look, Chris Murray, Chris Murray experience, starting lineup, and huh? He, and he came out last last night, and did he have this incredible game? Yeah, he had eight, two, and two, but you saw the comfort. You saw the confidence. Go back to the beginning of the year. I know for a fact he was struggling with his confidence. It, it hurt him. Like, he, he head down, sad tigger. But there are growth signs almost at every turn, which I think mm-hmm. it tells you that, Whatever you think about Chauncey Billups and his ability to coach his team to a championship, what he's doing right now, this team is growing. You're seeing the benefits, and you you got DeAndre Ayton's best game out of him last and night. DeAndre Ayton has been playing lights out since he has reacclimated himself after the knee tendonitis. This is my question moving forward. You get guys like Malcolm Brogdon has taken uh, for every game he plays. It's, it's seemingly he has a rest night. They're they're ma- for everybody wondering. About, oh, they sit Mal because they're trading him? No, they sat him because they're managing him because Malcolm Brogdon has been a guy throughout his career who just gets dinged up. He took a knee to like, right above his thigh. Um, I want to say, it was was that L.A.? I think it was L.A. Because him and Scoot, it was the same game that Scoot got knocked out of. Um, they both had the same thing happen, where they essentially hyperextended their leg when they took a knee right to the thigh. 
and Scooten ended up missing a game and Malk ended up coming back and missing, I think, the next one. But they well, both took deep, deep hits to the to the quad and, and I, they're sore. I think that four days before the trade deadline when Jeremy Grant and Malcolm Brogdon are both out of the lineup, everybody goes, are they getting traded? Yeah, and the thing with Jeremy, I'll tell you right now, the, the guy has had electrodes on his back basically every night following the game. What his is, back's bothering him. What does this team look like on Thursday, though? As it stands right now, uh, Mark Stein had the exact same reporting that I've had now for a couple weeks, and nothing has changed. This is from his substack this morning. Malcolm Brogdon has been opening, openly lobbying the Trailblazers to keep him beyond Thursday's trade deadline. Malcolm Brogdon has told Sean Hyken, has told Jason Quick, has told myself. Uh, I have heard from those in the Blazers organization. I've heard from other teams that have called about Malcolm. Most of the league is called about Malcolm Brogdon. Most of the league is called about Malcolm Brogdon. Same thing was true of Jeremy Grant. Every Every opposing team office that I have talked to has said no traction, no traction on either guy, and that has not changed. And as we get closer to the trade deadline, unless the Portland Trailblazers, they are, as I understand it, the Trailblazers are not interested in in draft capital for Malcolm Brogdon. They want players that matter, so under twenty five players that they can build with. Those guys don't get dealt at the deadline. We know that Typically history not. tells us that. Very rarely do mostly guys that are dealt at the deadline are periphery edge edge mm-hmm. guys, bolster your roster type guys. Do we see the home run trade? You know, for big stars, yeah, yeah, occasionally. But at this point, right now, with where Portland is mm-hmm. in their rebuild and where, the way that they're playing, the way that they have, we've seen strides and growth. Look, does this mean that they're going to try to win in the in this back half? They're not trying to lose games, by the way. Their their roster, as we saw last night, just isn't good enough no, to be quite and honest. And that's what they know. Again, they have played they have played fifty games, Dusty, and they have won fifteen. This is going to happen naturally. This is who they are. And so, where a move in the value of Malcolm Brogdon will be fortified is as you get into the off season, as you get closer to the draft where teams say we need an upgrade. We don't need to get younger. We need to get older. That's when you make a move for a guy like a Malcolm Brogdon, which is where we can all kind of see that happening. But I do believe that there is something to when you have both Jeremy Grant and Malcolm Brogdon saying essentially the same thing, which is we've been part of this before mm-hmm. and we've seen this before. And this isn't like Detroit, that if yes. we were playing well, they would give us the hook and say, we're not playing to win, yeah. which is what Jeremy Grant went through. No, and I, I will tell you wholeheartedly, there has been no message from the Blazers front office to Chauncey Billups to lose games. The, the, there is no onus of like, hey, we need to make sure we're X, Y, or Z in position. That has not been the case, which is why you see them trying to be competitive in games. And everybody says, oh, you know, they, they, they've got to suck. They've got to lose. They've got to maximize. And this, we were talking about this off air last week on Friday. Personally, I am sick and tired of existing on the polls of you, you turning all the optimization levels all the way up all the time. Reality does not live there. There are competing interests across the board. You can't have a franchise go out there, particularly in this market, go out there and, and win 18 games a season for four years and stockpile assets. It's not going to happen. They will tune out. This this market is already, we are ha- a little more than halfway into the season, and mode is not empty, but it's not what it has been. And that's the thing. Is like as much as it's a diehard basketball city, it's a diehard basketball city. It's not a front-running city, but it wants to have something it can lock its teeth into. And right now they don't have that. 
And so the organization can't sit there and go, yeah, no, we're just going to spin our wheels for four years and throw money down the drain. So they've got to continue to at least... Couldn't you argue this is year three of that, though? It is, though. Yes, it absolutely is. And the organization is not going to take any steps back from what they are right now. And But at the same time, the only steps back are like going from what they are right now to one of the three worst organizations in basketball. You don't want you don't want to live there because there's no guarantee that you're going to get that pick. And uh, somebody asked if, if uh, Jake Fisher of Yahoo Sports said that the Blazers kind of envision themselves like the Rockets next year, where maybe they add some guys and guys get a little bit better and they take a step forward. And it's like, yeah, that that very much sounds like what the Blazers do. And people were kind of pushing back on me on Twitter, and it's like, guys, the Rockets are twelfth right now in lottery odds. They're still not good. <laughs> They're still a lotto team. It's that's that's the world that they're still in. Like it's that's still a part of the process. Do I want to see Cooper Flag in Portland next year? Yes. Yes, come draft time at 2025, I would love to see Cooper Flag or Ace Bailey in Portland. But let's say the Blazers get lucky and end up top 2 in the draft this year and they get one of Alex Sar or Zach Rizache or uh Cody Williams and their front court looks a lot better going forward. Dusty, they have nine guys with a year experience or less on their roster right now. They add two more that it's 11. It's not good, Bob. Think about that. So you just like, you have to look at the whole picture of what they're trying to do, where they are, and where they're going to understand this. And it's that they're not this team stuck in hell that they were for five years. Where you, well, if we just add Mario Hazonia or Al Farouk Aminu's production at the four actually equates to a 53.8 to be exact. Yeah, just we we don't have to do that with this team. They are years away from even having to have stupid discussions like that. All right, so we're assuming things are quiet on the trade front before Thursday's deadline. It's as of right now, and again, everything is fluid and everything can change. But right now, that's where we sit. All right, coming up next, it's time for our worst day on the web. And ladies and gentlemen, I have two words for you: cocaine hippos. But first, here's the big news: Sports Center update. You mind if I? Have some of your tasty beverage to wash this down. It's a Super Week edition of Danny and Dusty. Brought to you by George McCoy at WarrenAllen.com. On 1080 The Fan. It's time for today's worst day on the web. With Danny and Dusty on Odyssey and 1080 The Fan. That sucks. Cocaine Hippos. Not the name of my new band. Oh. Not the name of my new band. I that would... is a great band name, though. It's a fantastic band name. Actually, this text on the Vancouver 4 text line, Cocaine Hippos sounds like a band Russ would listen to. Let's face it, Danny's band would be Artificial Hips. Wow! Jeez. Wow! <laughs> my goodness! Jeez. I don't know why. Just like, the aggression. Stra- the aggression just there. Straight for it, man. <laughs> Goodness, artificial Jeez. bones. That way we can cover. Are we more okay than just here? Goodness, <laughs> wow! That one, that one felt like it had some angst behind it. God, maybe next time I'm, I'm whatever. What, it, what did you want to eat next? I'm going to make sure I order it and just brush it past your nose. Uh, back to Cone Cane Hippos. Yes. For those not familiar with yes. this, Pablo Escobar brought in hippos to his own private zoo. Yeah, he had a zoo, man. 
And if you were, if you had more money than you knew what to do with in Colombia, and you were just had like warehouses full of money that mm-hmm. the rats were eating, and you would like chalk up a few million lost to rats every year, El Ratones. I think that a zoo is a really cool thing that it's you a can great have. way to launder money. I don't think that's even laundering money. I mean, you, you, I think you it's put it, just you're like, putting it into it's a catch business, right down there back uh, then. I don't know. It was because you couldn't go and visit it. It wouldn't be like, hey, kids, we're going to go to the cocaine baron's house. So go to the zoo today. That's Could you imagine that if like they, you're going up to the Oregon Zoo, is like just by some drug lord owned it, and you're like, hey, kids, come on, let's go see the hippos. I mean, it's what we should do. <laughs> Privatize zoos. Sing, you know. It was like his own private little. He could just wasn't go little, there and wasn't little. It was very big. It was well, very it big. Multiple hippopotami. Yes, so many hippopotami. Uh, their population has multiplied to over a hundred and seventy hippos because they're out in the wild and they are invasive. And no, the anaconda ain't got none. They are not going after the hippos. So there's, there's no predator. So you you got you got some crocodiles. Okay, but the piranha. They aren't taking down the hippos. What is the predator of the hippopotamus? I would imagine in Africa, it's the Nile crocodile. Or maybe a lion. Okay. So for those oh, crocodiles and lions and spotted hyenas are known to prey on young, hip- young hippos. Young. Because once they get big, they don't have a predator. Yeah. For those who don't know, the hippos are mean. They may only have a couple teeth, but they are mean. Yeah, they, and they are nasty. They kill more. They kill more humans annually than have ever been killed by sharks. Is yeah. that right? Yes. Is that? I yeah. think that's a Hip, hippos are are crazy. They, they you see them on uh, on land, you're like, oh, that big thing ain't doing nothing. But no, they're insane. I wonder if the inbreeding of this these 170 hippopotamus hippopotami are what is leading to them getting more aggressive because a few years back it was like, yeah, the hippos are here, but they kind of keep to themselves. Yeah, because there's three females and one male, and that population of four hippos has now grown to over 170. Yeah. Because, again, there's nothing invasive. Busy. Yes, there's nothing invasive, or there's nothing in, in their in their circle that's predatory about them, and they dis- they're destroying the fish populations. They're destroying the the tributaries and the rivers because of the of how they behave and how they interact. And I mean, it's the Amazon, so it's already one of the most you know volatile structures in the world. That's you know being destroyed by a million other things. Well, and if the movie Deliverance taught us anything, it's that decades of inbreeding leads to aggression. <laughs> Nothing. Probably translates to hippos too. I would imagine. Are we? Gonna, do we have like the 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 you know hills have eyes version of hippos here? I think that's what we're getting there. Is that, is that what we're getting at? Are they killing people yet? Uh, they are attacking people. Damn. They are attacking people. Uh, they are uh, the they are having part of the issue is, is that um, they don't know how to deal with them. They have become incredibly unpredictable and aggressive. And that the advisory that has been put out to uh, humans is to uh, run and hide, hunt, hunt. Oh, not hunt them. Well, that's what they're, they're they're putting forth legislation right now because it's kind of the same issue that we have here in Oregon with the sea lions. Yeah. Too many. There's you. It's a it's a kill on sight thing. Did you know that there there have been a what is it a Nile crocodile was spotted in the Everglades? What? I would imagine some collector, some pet dude. Put it, let one go the same That's way that we good. have the pythons. 
and they have a kill on sight order now in Florida on those. So it's I would imagine we're going to get there with the hippopotamus. Oh. Why, yeah. why, why can't the poachers just go take care of that? Yeah, I don't know. I'm looking at, this can't be true. What? I'm looking at animals that you don't know are deadly to, as deadly to humans. Mm-hmm. I'm on discoverwildlife.com. What what do we got here? That's from the that's a it's an arm of the BBC. Oh, okay. How many hip, how many hippo deaths are there each year? How I'd many say, humans die at the foot of a hippopotamus? I'd say a couple hundred. 500. Yeah. That's crazy. Those things are mean, man. Elephants, how many? Ooh, 300? 500 as well. Yeah. But the saltwater crocodile 1,000 deaths per year. Yeah, well, here's the issue. You have water You have water shortages in a lot of places, particularly al- yeah. along the Nile Corridor, where you have to put yourself in a dangerous position to go get water, and they will yeah, run yeah, deep, 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 deep down that Nile. These are all humans that die. Uh, 2,500 deaths per year from parasitic worms. Oof. That's gross. Getting inside you. Yeah. Scorpions, 2,600 deaths a year. What? Yeah. Yeah, they can screw right off. Really? It's that high? Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. I didn't think they were that bad. Like, it's don't get me wrong, it sucks to get stung by a scorpion, but I didn't know they were deadly, deadly. Yeah, I don't know. That's really? a, like that's a, again. I am no uh really scorpionis order uh expert here. Assassin bugs, 10,000 deaths per year. I don't even know what that is, but it's Central and South America. They'll kill you. Gosh, South America. Now, Colombia's got the hippos and the death bugs. I'm out. The Arizona bark scorpion Mm -hmm. is the only deadly scorpion present in the U.S. Well, there we go. See, it's not that bad. This is why I like living in Oregon. That's why I like living in Oregon, because I have not named a an animal that is killing all these people that lives in Oregon. Well, and according to this texter, hippos don't have to worry about paying their bills either. He says full-grown hippos don't have creditors, just like rhinos, elephants, and a few others. Hell! <laughs> creditors. <laughs> uh, watch out for the IRS. They'll get you. Uh, freshwater snails. I think we may have those, but they kill... 200,000 people per year. Wow. That seems aggressive. <laughs> How? Poisoning them? Yeah, they're just poisonous and people eat them. That many people are eating them? Yeah. Yeah. 200,000? I don't know. That's not a lesson you learn They also can contaminate fresh water. And so what happens is, like, they will release their poison in the water that you're in, and it can penetrate your skin. Yo! That doesn't sound fun. Where the hell is that at so I can avoid that one? That's a, yeah, that's a new fear. New fear unlocked. Awesome. Yeah, you're welcome. Good night. And then, oh, the look at this. Outside of mosquitoes, which kill between 725,000 and a million people each year. Yeah, that one makes sense because they transmit. Uh, the biggest killer of humans are, in fact, human beings. No way! <laughs> Yeah. yeah, not surprised. Yeah, there. about a half million. Yeah, those malaria pills work for a reason with mosquitoes. Goodness, I had no idea about most of these animals on here. Yeah, the snails. That's that's yeah, that made my skin crawl. Yeah, because they'll just uh, they'll poison Suck your water. Suck it, and cocaine hippos. Poison you, but co- a hippopotamus, and, and they're like 
they're they're coming up to schoolyards in Colombia. Yes, which again, like Colombia, a it's lot quite of quite the recess. Yeah, don't just because friend shape does not make make friend. Do do not try to boop the snoot. Yeah, the hippo though is the now I'm thinking hippo and elephant. They probably have the best rap out of any deadly animal. Like, because we all fear sharks and we fear Yeah, there's nothing jaws. scary about an elephant or we, a hippo except for their size. We fear crocodiles, but hippos and, and sharks have been made out in cartoons and stuff to be these lovable creatures. Elephants, not sharks. I mean, hippos and elephants, yeah. yeah. Although sharks were made out to be lovable creatures in, in Finding Nemo. Fish are friends, not food. That's right. See? Well, that was a support that's, that's group. A, that's a P, that's, I mean, that's, that's, P, that's shark propaganda. <laughs> yeah, yeah. That's planning in our children's minds that AA is a thing, and yeah. it was like shark AA. Mm-hmm. <laughs> hey, we're going to have this support group. We're going to stick together, and we're going to make sure we don't eat people. Hey, Mommy and Daddy, the sharks go to the same group you do. <laughs> that's rough. <laughs> Helps a lot of people. <laughs> um, Yeah. I saw old uh, Pat Oswald said we just need to drop a bunch of giant marbles over into Pablo's zoo there. Ooh, for the hippos. I'll take care of them. They're hungry, hungry hippos. Oh, yeah. That one went over my head. This seems like it is something that the Colombian government could take care of very easily. They have a lot of guns. But they're not. Also, what if you just gave the cocaine hippos cocaine? That would probably be in your worst interest. I kind of want to see what happens. They probably would just be very energetic. Yeah, uh, they wouldn't eat. Touch, touch more aggressive. How much cocaine eat? would it take for be a, a co- lot of hippo poop? <laughs> How much cocaine would it take for a co- for a hippo to get high? I don't know. I don't think a little bump's doing it. <laughs> yeah, this goes back to w- Will Darkins, as the text lines pointing out. Will Darkins once claimed on air he could defeat a hippo with his bare hands, and that is something Darkins he's he's I, taking to his grave. Yeah. Um, he's hit the point of no let's, return. Let's let's set that cage match up, and then I will put all of my money on the hippo. Yeah, but the hippos are also fast. That's They're something dumb don't fast know. on land. People That's what don't I was know saying. that. D- top speed of nineteen to twenty eight miles per yeah, hour. Yeah, and they weigh like what three thousand pounds. Yeah, zigzag. Yeah, he's got a zigzag. That's got to be straight line. Serpentine. Straight line speed. <laughs> Imagine getting <laughs> and then in the water, it's not that they're fast swimmers; they run across along the bottom bank. Well, not just that. Have you seen them do like the whale swim? Yeah, and they br- they they breach. It's oh, it's terrifying, man. It something that big should not move that fast. <laughs> so there you go, cocaine hippos. Hippos make great D tackles. Yeah. <laughs> just put, put them in a one. 40, just to run stuff. Forty ers That's the Vince Wilfork. <laughs> Not getting uh, through that a gap. See some. This the is why world. the hippopotamus needs to be. I think it's a great m- mascot. Uh, there's a there's a hippos. There's one. Yeah. Why don't we have enough hippo? Hippos. Like what? I think it, it's a it's a lost space. There. It really is because like you can like in, you can do some great cartoon work with. What hippos. is it? The I think it's the Hutto hippos down in Texas. Like it's, they're like football powerhouse. They're the hippos. Look. Hills, Hillsboro could be the hippos. That that would be a great one. But that's that's the hill the hill high hippos is better than the Spartans, right? Yeah, Spartans are everywhere. Yeah, the hippos. That's the that's that's where you can make some money. Just saying. All right, coming up next. Speaking of making money, uh, the NFL continues to just plow through all of the billions of dollars and yet still put their teams on terrible fields. Danny and Dusty, Danny the fan. It's 
It's a Super Week edition of Danny and Dusty. Brought to you by George McCoy at WarrenAllen.com. On 1080 The Fan. How much money do you think collectively the, the net worth of the NFL adds up to? Are you talking like owners and team valuations mm-hmm. and then their annual annual income's around mm-hmm. $20 billion. Each team is averaging around $2 billion, like on average. So I'm going to say $200 billion. Close to $163 billion. Yeah, okay. That seems about right. Which is an obscene amount of money. And yet... The San Francisco 49ers are playing at UNLV on turf that was installed weeks ago. Excuse me, sod that was overlaid over the top of turf weeks ago, as opposed to being done in, like, December, far ahead of time so that it can take root and be good. And what ends up happening is every NFL field is graded or rated based on its hardness, and you want to have a rigidity to it so that it doesn't give. So I don't know. You don't tear an ACL. Are we get, are we are we doing another field thing? Is yes. this another Super yes, we're, Bowl we're, where a field is? We're, okay. Well, this is the practice field, not the main field. So the <laughs> so we got the Raiders. Field, the one that's being in for the Super Bowl is being rolled in. It's a big giant cart Should track. The Forty Niners be accustomed to a crappy playing. Surface? You would think playing in Santa Clara. Well, they just field. wanted to make them feel at home. Yeah, there you go. <laughs> So the average grade of like a 0 to 100 hardness scale is 78 for an NFL field. There is not a field in the NFL that scores below a 70. The practice field that the 49ers are playing on right now is in the low 50s. So they're basically playing on mush. Which is uh, very similar to Levi Stadium. Maybe they did want them to make feel at home. This is, you can't have this though. How can you prepare for a game and you have these sorts of conditions, though. And I think that's what the particularly off the Super Bowl last year when the field sucked. Yeah, and this is also the fear we had a World Cup coming to mm-hmm. the states. Yeah. And Jarrah's world is going to be hosting <laughs> the place that has the lowest graded field in the NFL. Well, it, they well they play on turf, so they're going to have to do something similar to what we we're yes. seeing here, which is they're going to go and lay the sod down over the turf at Jerry's World. Hopefully they do it more than a week or two in advance of this. But this is the concern in the, in the soccer world is that you are not going to put this, the World Cup, the biggest game in the world yeah. is not going to be on a field that is permanently a grass field. This is a major concern for anybody who plays a sport on natural grass and then but only that soccer is meant to be played and it's, a, it's an issue when you talk about playing here in portland with the, the thorns and timbers because they play on turf and not on real grass and not to mention that they're doing this they they have them practicing a unlv out of convenience mm-hmm. because the raiders or the the raiders uh, stadium in their practice facility is going to be used by the kansas city chiefs mm-hmm. so they were going to get in unlv I've been there and taken the the facilities tour at UNLV. Mm-hmm. Their football facility is top notch. Yes, they, it it truly is. Their facilities in general at UNLV are great. It, it is incredible. They in their weight room, their meeting rooms. Mm-hmm. It is it's it's really nice there. It does not match their production on the field. But you have this practice field is going to be a storyline throughout the the playoffs. And look. If you're the 49ers, with the history of injuries that they have had with their key players, this is the worst-case scenario as you're leading up to the biggest game of the year. And this is like just one of those distractions that you hear. You want to have the distractionless week of preparation. 
Well, here we are. It, it appears, though, that the game field, it should be okay, even though the Raiders field was dead at the end of the regular season, if we all remember seeing yes. that. And they Yellow. were painting over dirt in the end zones. Which makes no sense because it's inside. It, and well, and they, they wheel it out every day. Again, but, something the Raiders should be used to. Playing on playing on dirt, yeah. which again, go Oakland. back to Oakland. Yeah, go back to Oakland. Make sure you make it. that good slide in the second base where they painted over the the dirt. So this is going to be our storyline of the year. It's going to of uh, the Super Bowl is the 49ers for an uh, industry that janky is, practice that is field. worth essentially two hundred billion dollars. Cool. Yeah. You why? Why? Look, look. We uh, we've looked at this a million times because it's it's cool as could be. Real Madrid, the world famous soccer club, has a grass. Uh, field situation that is the best in the world. It's quite literally these tables, these sections that have that live underground under the stadium <laughs> with this built-in UV light that they roll like it's on a it's on a uh, section of lifts that gets put in and out and it makes when it comes together what looks like a pool table. It's really cool. It's incredible. It's it's it's, it's a system unlike any other in the world and it's just like why is this not installed everywhere? In the NFL, it's expensive. That's why. Well, and this is it because who foot the bill for the Allegiant Stadium where the Raiders play? Hmm. Not the league worth two hundred billion dollars. Weird. Almost like that city did. And that—that's uh, the thing. I just got the 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 heebie-jeebies because I was reading some of the texts on the poisonous octopuses. Still, uh, they really creep me out. The close relatives of the nope ropes. Yeah, I'm out. I'm out on all of that. All right. on, but this field. Uh, it shouldn't be something. That the we're fact that this about. is a storyline that we're talking about is incredibly dumb. How, it, it, how it, soon honestly, until we find out they're just going to go and bust to a grass field somewhere else? It's nice. at Bishop Gorman. Well, they got turf. They got oh, that's right, turf yeah. everywhere. It's Vegas. It's outside. Kind of makes sense. All right, coming up next, hour number three, where we set with two storylines coming into the game revolving both quarterbacks: the greatness of Patrick Mahomes and how incredibly good he has been, and whether or not Brock Purdy can play a clean game. Hour number three on Danny Dusty, Tenny the fan. We get it. Attention spans just aren't what they used to be. Heads in social media and eyes on Netflix. But what do people do with their ears? Well, for one, they're listening to audio. Americans spend 4.4 hours with audio every day. Oh, and you want the proof? Well, you just sat through this ad that's now approaching 30 seconds. What could you say to a potential customer in 30 seconds? Let Odyssey put together a media plan tailor-made for your unique marketing needs. Advertise with Odyssey. Visit ads.odyssey.com.